Hello, welcome to Wargamer. I'm your host, Rob. Today, we're going to be talking about the Battle Scroll update from Games Workshop and what that means for you and anyone who may want to play Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar, as a game system, is released about every three years we get a new edition. It used to be that the Battle Packs or the General's Handbooks were released basically every year. However, recently that's changed to every six months. We're in the very first GHB as part of the six-month cycle, so we don't actually know how different these six-month books are going to be from each other. We do know that this one, the Galette Battle Pack, is significantly different to the one previously. The last Battle Pack focused on monsters, and this one is very much focused around infantry. They're also narratively themed in different realms, which is quite cool, or they're in different areas inside a realm. So if you're more of a storyteller, or even if you like to play competitively and also tell stories, they're also included as well. The Battle Scroll is Games Workshop Balance Patch. If you've played any other sort of games, you'll know what balance patches are. Effectively, what Games Workshop are trying to do is they're trying to make units or armies that perform too good or armies that perform too badly, and they're trying to squish them together a little bit so there's more parity for players who own these armies. It's slightly different to other game systems, specifically computer games, because while you balance the game which you've already bought, when you balance something in this, it can be related to very costly models, both either in time or money. So the dream is that pretty much everything that you own and you've spent money on is going to be workable inside the game system. Whether or not that actually is something that's ever, ever going to happen is very unlikely, in my opinion. But they're at least making some efforts to try to do that, which is quite exciting. I've been covering Age of Sigmar ever since the game was released, and it's had a pretty tumultuous level of balancing over the years. Recently, Games Workshop have committed to actually making some big strides with that. So much so, in fact, that they've committed to showing and talking about stats, and they've committed to this three-month balance patch, which is the Battle Scroll. They talked about external, internal parity, and a bunch of other stuff, which is all really exciting. So if you are someone who plays miniature games or is about to get into miniature games, I would say that Age of Sigmar feels like it's currently being well-serviced. That said, Games Workshop don't tout themselves as being a game company. They tout themselves as being a miniatures company. Therefore, sometimes the resources don't really get applied to the gaming that we think it should get. Games Workshop have published their stats, and they do collect stats from a variety of different sources. We here at The Honest Wargamer also collect stats as well for Age of Sigmar, and ours will be out next week. So we'll be able to do a side-by-side -side comparison, which will be really exciting. But as you can see in the stats, there are several factions that are doing far too well. Beast of Chaos, Daughters of Cain, Disciples of Zinch, Maggotkin of Nurgle, Sons of Behemoth, Bonesplitters are all above that 55% line. And then below the 45% line, or in the not-very-good section, is the Heat Knights of Sinesh, Slaves to Darkness, Ogre Moor Tribes, Osiart Bone, Reapers and Cruel Boys. Now, both the Ogremore tribes and the Slaves to Darkness armies are getting a new book soon, so they're getting new battle tomes. This is generally pretty good in the edition. Normally, when you get your new battle tome, the rules are updated and you end up with a better and or stronger book, which is quite exciting. Now, lastly, just before we get into talking about all of the changes and what they may mean, I've tried to break these down into real simple ones and then far more techy and crunchy ones for people who already engage with my content and the people who play at a particular level. So hopefully, if you just want the real high-level stuff, just look at that at the beginning. Lastly, Age of Sigmar has been exploding as a tournament game. Again, as I talk about, we collect the stats, and every Monday I'll go through the different performing lists that have done well over the weekends on the Age of Sigmar Stat Center. The game has been really popular and continues to be more and more popular year in, year out, which is really exciting as a game system to get involved with if you haven't got involved with it before. Okay, so inside the Power Scroll are three main changes. 
By the way, the Battle Scroll is obviously hosted on the Games Workshop's website on warhammercommunity.com, and I'll include it in the link below. And the link below is really close to the subscribe button, so uh, do smash and all those other words. They've done three main things. They've either changed points for units, they've either clarified some rules for units, or they've just changed rules for units. Now, the clarity side is actually something that's really useful. I'm probably going to skip through some bits and say, well, they just clarified this, but actually that's so helpful for us as gamers because there's some very complicated interactions at a particular level where it's just good that they're fixed. And I, whenever I say that, I'm not breezing over it. I think they're really important and it's great that they're clarified. Points changes are meant to make units more viable or make it so that units aren't taken as much. So a unit is more expensive and therefore maybe you won't see as much of it or you won't see as many iterations of it in a list. Similarly, with points reductions on units, you might see more of that or a list, which is normally 2000 points in AOS standard, should be able to have more units inside of it and therefore have more effectiveness. Later on, I'm going to be talking about the race to the bottom and how points sometimes don't really fix things, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, so here's the kind of like TLDR of changes. Magikin of Nurgle had a fly list. This was their kind of competitive build, although not their only competitive build. There was there were other builds that were doing quite well as well. Uh, big shout out to all of my wizard Nurgle bros. But the flyer list was an issue because you could have some very effective units, the Puskal Blight Lords, which are eight wounds on a four-up save. This is already too much information if you knew. You had loads of flies. They would pre-game move, and then they would just pin you in, and you would never be able to leave your objective, and they would hit you and do loads of damage. That list has gone up two to 300 points at the moment, and that's a really great change. For BC Chaos, Dragon Ogres, which were a very, very undercosted unit for the wounds that they could bring to a table, have gone up in points. They've also changed the summoning mechanic for BC Chaos as well uh, with their monstrous action. However, they were able to keep the four up rally. So actually, if you're a BC Chaos fan, I think your list is fine. Seraphon lists have been sold for a very long time and they have been played a lot. And so some of those common units have gone up points, which is good. Some of the most common and most used armies uh, in those Seraphon lists have gone up uh, significantly to 200 or so points. However, Seraphon's an incredibly wide book with great units and it's got a great opportunity to pivot, so it's fine. Nighthorn or the Spooky Ghosts had a special unit called the Krugas Cruciator, which reduced how much damage units took um, made so that you could not no longer stack multiple copies of it. So it's just a great change, but is a definitely a nerf to the Nighthorn armies. Gloomstrike Gits and OCR Bone Reapers had significant points drops potentially for their army, depending on what lists you are running. Some of the endless spells, which every army have got the ability to take, that's right, even bloodthirsters that are wizards uh, that can reroll casts uh, can take these endless spells. And some of the most effective ones went up points, but really they only went up points to what they probably should have been at launch of the game. And I still think they could probably do with being analyzed. And finally, the Cronspine Incarnate, which is a monster which any army can take, did also go up some points. 20%, in fact, which feels like a significant hike, but we'll talk about that later. Maybe not enough. Now, I recorded a video earlier on Twitch. I live stream on Twitch every day, 11 a.m. till oh, like 1 or 2 p.m., depending on how long the Twitch chat can keep me. And the <laughs> and one of my good friends, uh, Grubby Ungor, said that the average points in the last FAQ update was only five points. So the average change in points was only about five points. In this one, it's been 20 points. So that's a significant difference between the two FAQs and the effect that Games Workshop have. I, for one, have been very critical when we've only seen points changes of plus or minus 10 points and to see points changes as, as severe as the 20 point 20 percent change that we've seen on the crunch spine incarnate 
actually pretty confident and, and happy about that. That said, though, there's a really great conversation about utility versus points. And again, we'll do that later. One last weird update, but kind of makes sense, that was kind of buried inside some of these updates, is that when you buy one of the launch boxes, so if anyone remembers the Lumineth Realm Lords box, where it also included the Battle Tome, then, and with the upcoming Slaves to Darkness box, which also includes the Battle Tome, that Battle Tome and the army and rules inside of it won't be match play legal until they put the Battle Tome on general sale. Normally, this happens a couple of weeks or a couple of months after the launch of their kind of starter boxes. Not really sure what to call them. We call them FOMO boxes, fear of missing out boxes. That's quite an interesting place because it means that they've really reduced how uh, how FOMO it is. Like, I'm, oh, I'm going to miss out on the battle tone for my favorite army. I would say that this feels like it's a direct business decision because of what happened with the leagues of Votown, which is a 40k box which they released, and then before they'd even put the book on order for kind of the general public, then they had nerfed or changed some of the rules inside of it, maybe making the book not as effective. Either way, this is just one of those stopgap things that they're going to have to put in place until they eventually finally succumb to the idea of having to put digital rules out permanently. I mean, I am doing an update on a digital update on a digital platform. In a digital world, in a We're going to look at the update now in more detail. Now, Games Workshop have set themselves kind of three goals with what they want to do with this battle scroll. They will look at the external balance, so how armies perform against each other, internal balance, how often units are taken from that army, and they want to look at universal options. These are things that every army have got access to, things like command traits, um, artifacts, battalions, crunch incarnates, uh, and all of those things. And so at the end, I'm going to ask you, along with me, to rate them on those three factors. Again, really important to point out, I'm really chuffed that they're giving themselves a goal or a target, and they're expressing this. This is super important for me to express for you, because Games Workshop have been downright devious <laughs> at some points, and sometimes they've been a little bit earnest, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what the new Games Workshop for Age of Sigmar is going to be like. And every single one of these, you have to use a bit of a judgment call. And I've been through the mill on all of them. Either way, they're expressing intent, which is super important for us because then we get to measure them by their intent, which I think is great. And I love to see it. So I'm just excited to see. I'm excited for the future for Age of Sigmar. And so even, even though I probably don't feel that this is that effective a battle scroll, I think the fact that they're doing it is a huge positive. Okay, so we're going to go through some beginner stuff. So this is stuff that if you're a pretty casual person, then I still think this is important that you know. And then we're going to get to super techie stuff at the end, some conclusions and some other stuff. The first bit to know is that if you're running your armies in the Galette Battle Pack, you get access to two different battalions. One of them is called Expert Conquerors, where each model in your unit, so let's say you have 10, will count as three on an objective, which means 30. Now, when you hold a piece of terrain, as in you capture a piece of terrain, and the way you do, you do that is you get within three inches. With objectives, it's six, but with this, it's three. You claim it as if you claim an objective. And therefore, in my opinion, Expert Conqueror has always applied to that. However, Games Workshop have clarified that it does. So if you have units that count as three uh, to hold objectives, then they'll also count for holding piece of terrain, which is really good because there's a battle tactic called Desecrate Their Lands, where you hold a piece of terrain in your opponent's, well, in or wholly within your opponent's territory. And if you get it, you get two victory points. 
It's quite cool. It's quite thematic. I quite like it. It's also really smart because then you also will be able to counterplay. Look at the terrain that's on the board when you deploy and put your units, like your expert concrete units, near them so your opponent won't be able to do that battle tactic early in the game. The next change is to the universal spell Gaze of Gur. The Gaze of Gur is a spell which you apply to an enemy unit and it reduces how many models in the unit count as holding the objective. This had a bit of a problematic interaction with Mega Gargants. Mega Gargants are solo models, so one. However, they got a special rule where they count as 20 or 25 on an objective. This had some other really weird interactions, specifically with a sub-faction called Knights of the Empty Throne from Slaves to Darkness. It's never really been sorted out in any way, but Games Workshop have sorted that out now. So the Gargants, you count as whatever they're worth first, so they're worth 20, and then you reduce them down by how many you've rolled rounding down, which is really nice. Like, it's a really good way of dealing with it all. I'm super happy with it. It's a really nice change. It's also a bit of a buff to Gargants, and seeing as their book just came out, it's great for them. The next set of changes are in core rules, and they're all to do with garrisons. Now, garrisons are buildings that you have on the table. I mean, it doesn't have to be a building. It could be a forest that you could decide as a garrison, but it's a keyword. You pick a bit of terrain on the board, you say, that's a garrison. Stuff you normally would organize with your opponent before you played a game, or something that you would do when you went and played at a tournament. There would normally be a pack or a map that would explain that something's a garrison. You can put units inside of a garrison and you can basically defend the garrison. Your units get minus one to hit and they get plus one save, which is great. But they've clarified what the units inside count as. Are they on the board? Are they not on the board? If I have a hero inside of them, can I use them? Which is good. Uh, so they've clarified that they are on the board. They are in the garrison. And if you have a hero, they will be able to try to generate CPs or use command abilities. This is great. Garrisons are a complicated set of rules, really. But if you've already got far enough that you can build yourself Age of Sigmar armies and play, I would make sure to use garrisons because they're impassable pieces of terrain unless you go inside of them. Um, you could say that they block line of sight. They really create like a really fun game state, and I would use garrisons as much as possible in my games if I were you. The next update is about triumphs. Triumphs are something that you get when you and your opponent find out how many points your army list is worth. And if I have less points than you, I get a triumph. A triumph for one of three things, but the one you're probably mainly going to pick is plus one to wound on a unit. You can only use them once per battle, but it's a powerful bonus. This is just an update that lets you know that allies that you have in your army are able to use triumphs. The next update from the core rules is about fighting on death. What? You're dead. How can you fight? <laughs> Some units, when they die, they're able to then still attack, which is a very cool kind of thematic thing that they put into the game for certain units. This clarifies that when you do fight on death, that's what we call it, you're able to still pile in, which previously it was a little bit contentious as to whether or not you could. This is good because it means that you're going to be able to put your units exactly where you want them to go, um, especially when some units have big weapon ranges or there's multi-units all fighting. Either way, it's a really nice clarification and it's good for the game. In fact, my friend Owen, who helped me out with some of this video earlier, wanted me to say that most people don't even ever know how to pile in. And it's the one thing he wants them to research. Specifically, people who make Age of Sigmar bat reps. Don't know who he's talking about, but that's on Owen Jackson. Okay, so the next set of stuff is what we would call techie, crunchy stuff. There'll be a, a timestamp, so you can just skip ahead to the kind of conclusions at the end if you want to. This is stuff that's really important, especially at like high-end tournament play level. Hello, bros. I don't know why I feel more comfortable all of a sudden. Okay, here we go. So if you're running Kotet, Knights of the Empty Throne, then your Varangard unit, which is a unit, can only do a heroic action as a unit. Each model can't do a heroic action. Obviously, that's some good clarity. 
Good, good, good. Okay, so interesting little change that they made uh, on strike last, strike first. Now, if you go into the core rules and look at strike last, strike first, it really gives you some very intense level of interaction and how it works and the steps. They have done a change here or a clarification which has produced a change, which is effectively the strike last effect can be superseded by you fight next abilities. Examples of that, obviously, smashing and bashing. That's one that's most common. So even if you may have a strike last effect on one unit of Iron Jaws, if you use another unit of Iron Jaws and create the smashing and bashing effect by wiping out a unit, then you're going to be able to activate that even though it's got strike last. I don't know if this opens up a can of worms. It may. The strike last, strike first interactions in those steps I thought were cleared up at the start of Age of Sigmar 3. My friend Nico from the South London Legion is the person who normally does entire essays on how that works. So it'll be fun to find out what that is exactly, but something to be conscious of in the future or maybe tech into your lists. Okay, next up, there's a really long section on endless spells. Loads and loads of clarity on how endless spells work and work in the game. This is really specifically to stop two gimmicky interactions. This is corn and their ability to ignore spells and therefore generate them blood tithe points and also Teclis's spell ignore and how that works. It also ties in with Banshees from Nighthaunt as well, which we also saw get some FAQ clarification. Spell ignore is a little bit of a tricky one in a lot of ways because they don't necessarily trigger effects. In this, they've said that you must roll a dice to trigger those effects and therefore those gimmicks are no longer in effect. I said effect loads there, maybe too much. Like, is it affecting me? A lot. If you were the corn and techless people, you know who you are, you know what you did, you can't do the thing. It's that easy. It's a lot of words to say, stop it. The next one is about shooting or fighting twice. The Eidolon of the Sea from the Eideneth Deepkin had an FAQ, which meant that its spell, which was D3 of an effect, could stack on a unit. Okay, This meant that there were some other versions of things which also that applied to. I think one of the most notable ones was the Vermin Lord Warbringer. I don't think this actually really needed clearing up in the rules. But to be specific, you can no longer shoot or fight more than twice in the same phase. There were some things that allowed you to do that, but that's been clarified. And it says it's an exception to... War Scrolls overriding core rules, which is normally how the game works. So it's an exception to an exception, which is exceptional. They also changed invocation. So once you banish an invocation, you can't also then resummon an invocation in the same turn in which it was banished. Very much like an end of spell. That's good. Great. We're happy. The next one's about units fighting, and specifically battle tactics and grand strategies where a unit needs to have counted as fought. Let's think about two units charging a unit, and in order to achieve a battle tactic, both of those two units need to have fought. The first unit charges, uh, the second unit charges in as well, but the first unit activates, fights, and wipes out the first unit. Well, then the second unit hasn't fought. No. The new update says that if you select that unit to activate in the fight phase basically then it counts as having fought this is cool for units that activate twice looking at you varangard or the upcoming iron guts or those multi-charge situations especially for battle tactics and grand strategies the final universal things until we get into the factions are looking at the endless spells and the crunchbine incarnate the crunchbine incarnate has gone up from 400 to 480 points there's going to be a really good conversation, I think, about the fact that some of the worst performing armies are really still going to get a really good benefit from a 480-point monster that's really difficult to kill versus units that aren't... 
versus armies that are very efficient at the top end and 480 points might just be too many points now for them to include it. So then you get that kind of really interesting convo where armies that weren't as good get lifted up and armies that are good don't get the benefit. I personally think 480 points is still a wicked steal. Really what you ask yourself is you put the Kronspine Incarnate into your army and you ask yourself, can I produce something that's better for 480 points out of my army book? Or does it work as well as the win condition of my army wants it to work? A unit that kills other units, doesn't die, stops people moving, has got so much value packed into it that the 20% points hike feels good, but I still think we're going to see lots of these things. Personally, I don't really think it needs to be included in the game. I feel like if an army isn't performing particularly well, like Gits or Bone Reapers as an example, then I feel they can be lifted up by making their War Scrolls better, not produce a generic thing like the Crunchbine Incarnate to make them better. Also, we've seen lists where the Crunchbine Incarnate has been buddied up with units that really shouldn't have a running mate like Marathi, and you have these two unkillable units. I think I would like to just see it not be part of the game. It's not a model anyone really cares about and no one really loses out on much. It's one of the very few times I think I'm ever going to say this because it feels very shoehorned in. But there you go. It's 480 points. I'd love to know what you all think. We've also had some spell point changes and these endless spells have gone up. Chronomantic Cogs has gone up from 40 points to 70 points. Lacquan the Soul Seeker has gone up by 20 points to 50 points. The Purple Sun has gone up another 20 points to 90 points. And the Umbral Spell Portal has gone up only 10 points to 80 points. These points changes are quite interesting because ultimately I feel like these are the points that the spell should have been at the start of the game. They were criminally undercosted. Reroll casts for all wizards in 12 inches for the chronomantic cogs is nuts and at 70 points it's still nuts what's interesting about the endless spells is that i often think that battle tomes are written in isolation and then someone goes oops i can add this endless spell on and it does some crazy stuff we've seen this time and time again we've seen it with life swarm cogs is another good example we saw it with umbral spell portal multiple times in fact actually one of the most popular skaven builds at the minute is really relying on lacquan the soul seeker it went up 20 points but it's a boat that you can put Thankwall and Bone Ripper in, move them across the board, and then you can move after. It was not FAQ'd, and you can still do it, and it still only costs you 50 points. It's crazy. So overall, the spell point changes, I think, really bump up some armies because they really want those spells in their army. Chronomantic Cogs, especially for the big Magic Dom armies. However, I would say that they're not that impactful. They're very small points changes. Normally, when you put lists together, you end up with 30 points here or 40 points here. Maybe the opportunity cost is slightly lower because something is at just 30 points, which is insane. And if you want to stack endless spells, like, for instance, if you're running Zinch or if you're running Lumineth, as an example, then maybe you are paying even more points into elite armies. I would have loved to have seen Lacquan get an FAQ, but okay. Let's get into the factions. First up, we have the Cities of Sigmar from Order. They had a rules change where Hallowheart Wizards now get to choose two spells from the Lore of Whitefire and previously could only choose one. This is good because it combines with their ability and battle trait to cast an additional spell. So knowing two is really useful. However, they did take a bit of a hit. They deleted a line out of the FAQ, which meant that unique characters can no longer choose spells from the Lore of Whitefire. This means people who are running Krondis, the big Stormcast Dragon, are no longer able to use him in... Oh, I mean, not use him as effectively 
in Cities of Sigmar and specifically Hallowheart. We also got some points changes on the units. We saw the Charybdis and the War Hydra go down 20 points. So if they just halve the points again, they may be worth the bases that you buy them on. We got a Dreadlord on Black Dragon and a Sorceress on Black Dragon go down points as well. Now the Sorceress on Black Dragon is kind of an okay deal. Uh, the Dreadlord on Black Dragon is kind of okay as well, but those points are normally spent on something that's more coefficient in one of the Cities of Sigmar armies, and they don't really bring much to the table anyway. Execution is one of those really weird units that has gone down 20 points, and yet you don't want that. Executioners are meant to be these dark elf murderers that chop heads off, and really what you want is for them to be more effective. And this is going to be a theme, as you see with the points reductions as we go through the game. Overall, I guess this is what some of my compatriots would call a light touch. But this is one of the uh, really marked examples of really poor internal balance work being done on this Battle Scroll update. There are loads of units in the Cities of Sigmar book. Loads of them are very, very cool. And unfortunately, many of them weren't touched by this update. And that's confusing because if one of the goals is internal balance, this is one of the ones where it's quite markedly not got a lot of internal balance. Next up, Carriage and Overlords. They have changed it so that when you charge with your Ironclad or your Frigate and there are units inside either of those two, they can now be unleashed held into, which is kind of a standard shoot reaction by a shooting unit that you're charging with your Ironclad or your Frigate. Interesting point, I don't think that they changed the engine works, which allows you to have a gun hauler, which allows it to be a garrison, therefore be occupied. And then that gets the stand and shoot reaction from the opponent. So that's kind of fun thing that I think that they maybe missed, which maybe you can build into your list. I'm not sure. No point changes for the KO, uh, which is, I guess, kind of interesting. I would have liked to have seen Sky Wardens, uh, the Bubble Boys specifically, maybe have some points reductions or maybe get a scroll that produces more efficacy. Lumineth Realm Lord's got a FAQ, but it's a bit of a copy and paste from their old book as an FAQ. And we've heard rumors that there's actually a more in-detail FAQ coming out soon. But at point of recording this video, Teclis, the god of magic, as rules as written, can only cast one spell or only choose one spell from one of the laws of magic, which is obviously very silly. They forgot to include a header in the book and at a tournament, which I'm running this weekend, I've allowed my Luminous Realm Law players to obviously let Teclis know all the spells from the two laws, three laws, whichever it is. Next up in order is Seraphon, the boogeyman of Age of Sigmar. First up, the good news. There were some points reductions. The source of Old Blood on Carnosaur and the Skink Oracle on Troglodon both went down points. They don't see as much play as some of the other units, so it's good to see them get points reductions. The points increases are all on units that have been criminally undercosted for a very long time in Age of Sigmar. The Sand Star Master went up 20 points. The Skink Priest went up 30 points. The Ashloth Banabara went up 15. Lord Croak went up 20. And then the Engine of the Gods went up 285. The interesting thing about this is almost all of those units would feature in a list together with the Slan and Lord Croak being swapped out for each other. This means that your list is already 85 points more expensive for the privilege of taking units that you previously ran in the list before the FAQ. In my opinion, this just brings the Seraphon back to where they should have been at book release, maybe. And there's some notable examples of units that maybe are missing. Rippers and Pterodons are okay. Maybe a small points reduction could have really pushed people towards those. The Bastilladon with the Arcosotech has not changed points, which is insane. The Bastilladon with the Solar Engine, also the same, which is insane, because they're in all the lists all of the time. Lastly, the Engine of the Gods is maybe the most points efficient war scroll in the world and adding plus 20 points to it 
is maybe a real clear sign of not doing anywhere near enough. The Angel of the Gods is a priest. It's a summoning engine. It's a monster that does amazing damage. It can be your general. It can come back to life on a four plus with an artifact. And you can give it an arcane tome and make it the master of magic. And it can be a wizard. It's amazing. It's so good. Ask your Seraphon friends. Ask people in the comments. Ask anyone how many points you think a engine of the gods should be. It's a really fun game. I really want to know what the answers are because I have an idea. And it starts with a it starts with a five. Ultimately, from a competitive standpoint, I really don't think the point changes to the Seraphon have really made any particular difference. And so I think Seraphon, who are already an incredibly well-performing faction, will continue to be so. Next up is the Poster Boys, and that is Stormcast Eternals. Point changes and rules clarification. The Lord Imperitant is going to give his buff when he deep strikes to annihilate units when they also deep strike that turn around him. There's clarity on which units can receive holy commands, and they've made it so that only Stormcast Wizards can cast Stormcast Endless Spells. Anyone who knows about the Reign of Stars list will be sad about this or happy about this. Looking at the point changes, it's really hard not to be cynical and assume that many of these point changes come because they cannot get rid of Dominion boxes <laughs> that are littered all around the world. However, there is some interesting stuff in there. Krondis and Karazai, the two big dragon characters, have gone down 50 points, which means they're still probably... 50 to 100 points, too expensive in my opinion. But shout out to some of my friends in Australia who love running kind of big dragon defensive builds. A lot of this keys in with the Praetor unit, which also got a points reduction, meaning that being able to protect Karazai or Krondis with your Praetors, which give them basically a three-up ward for passing off wounds, mean that there's these unkillable dragons in the Stormcast army, which is quite a cool list, but Games Workshop definitely haven't seen those be in play. Annihilators also came down points as well, which is actually kind of interesting. I mean, they are in the Dominion box, so my assumption is that, but they're good. They're featuring lots of lists like they're popular like and going down points and also in multiples of them as well so there's some real savings on running some annihilator armies which i think is quite cool the silver death changes are very interesting because they're the first changes that we saw and they really pointed towards a nuanced approach to looking at how to balance some of these armies and then they just stopped one of the key interactions that happens with the silver death army is the strike and fade away this is where you fight in combat then immediately retreat a unit this was very difficult to understand what happened when units died or they fought on death. Did that activate before the unit teleported away or not? They've clarified that it does happen, which is really, really good for those units who mainly pay points for the ability to do that. And then we got two just direct targeted nerfs into the Sylvaneth kind of magical castle build. The first one is you can't cast endless spells through Wildwoods, which previously was something that you did, especially with a Warsong Revenant with a Spellsinger command trait. They then further nerfed casting through trees by making it so that you pick one of your pieces of terrain in a wildwood. When you set up a wildwood, it can just be one tree or it can be up to three trees as one wildwood. Now, if you be, did set up a big three, being able to target AOE attacks from the whole base of three trees was really powerful. They've reduced it now so that you pick one of the three trees or one of the two trees or the one tree, and then you pick from there. This affects the AOE ability of the Sylvaneth army, and probably is a death knell for the magical casting build of the Sylvaneth army. 
Moving on to the Grand Alliance death, and we're talking about Night Haunt. As previously mentioned, you can't stack the Night Cruciator. He gave a minus one damage bubble to Night Haunt units around it to a minimum of one, but you can have multiple versions of them, and therefore they could be minus two damage, which is super strong and effectively due to things like Iron Jaws armies. There was also some real good clarification on what Banshee's abilities do when dealing with spells or under spells. The Banshee ability to stop the spell only affects the units that are targeted within its range. The other change to the death faction was some clarity on exactly what Nagash's ability did when it came to rallying and resing units in the army. This actually applies to multiple armies, but doesn't include that Nagash has a 6-up ward, which is brilliant. Nagash doesn't allow rally rolls to be re-rolled, but you can always add one to the number of return models, even if you return zero. So if you're trying to roll five dice to get a rally on a unit and you roll no six ups, you still get to return one because of the Nagash's ability. This actually keys in really nicely with the Gothazar Harvester from OCR Bone Reapers. They have the ability that when a model is slain within range on a four up, they can return that model. This would key in with Nagash's ability, I'm pretty certain, which means you potentially could get two models back for one slain model, meaning they're never going to die. This doesn't mean that you've already got Nagash and a Gothazar Harvester, which is 1,200 points of your army. So it's not like you can build unkillable shield walls, but it would be pretty fun. OCR Burn Reapers are one of the armies that got significant points changes in the update. The Mortec Crawler, which is their catapult, went down 15 points, Harvester down 15 the Immortus Guard went down 25, and the Necropolis Stalkers went down 10, which is pretty nuts because very recently, a reinforced or a double reinforced unit of Necropolis Stalkers ended up going 5-0. Now, this was done by an incredibly talented player called Bill Souza over in America, but it does really show that you can build some very interesting lists from them, and they got cheaper. Some big winners were the Morgast Archai and Morgast Harbingers, going down 25 and 20 points respectively. These are really strong, potent units, and they're very elite, so getting quite a big points drop for them is actually quite cool. Ultimately, OCR Bone Reapers is an army that really needs like a structural change to it because it doesn't get access to lots of the Age of Sigmar 3 mechanics. It doesn't get to do any of the generic command abilities, which are very, very key. That said, there's been people who've done really well with lists from OCR Bone Reapers pre this book. Big shout out to my friend Swaggy Shadowsword over in the US again, who's pushing armies around and doing really well with it. They've got some unique endless spells and they've got some really unique units. I think I just would have liked to have seen them just say you could just use generic command abilities. It really feels like it's obstinance at this point that really doesn't let them have them. I don't know why it's not the case, but it's the only army that can't use them and it feels weird. Flesh Eater Courts also got some fairly nominal point changes. The Royal Terrorgeist and the Royal Zombie Dragon both went down 20 points, which is really a nonsense thing because neither of them are taken in lists anyway, so... It's a change, though, I guess. Soblite Gravelords had some interesting changes. Uh, with the White King, the White King on Skeletal Steed, both going down 25 and 20 points. This is quite good, because the White King on Skeletal Steed is often used to make it so that Graveguard are battle line in an army. Neferata also went down points as well, and Neferata's seen loads of play in Competitive Age Sigmar at the moment, specifically because of her ability to apply a spell to a unit so that they ignore the negative modifiers of Rend. Personally, I think Soblite Gravelords have made out like bandits. Next up, let's go to Destruction, and let's go to Gloomspite Gits. Now, the big change with Gloomspite Gits is that if you take a Spider Fang General, you're going to be able to have an Arachnorok with a War Party on top as your battle line. This is a monster unit. It's a spider ridden by goblins doing all sorts of nonsense. I would say that the number of times that I've seen a Arachnorok with a War Party on top has been a total of zero ever in the history of time. And I doubt that changes now. 
in any way. Like you could run it. Like it's one of those things that's actually very exciting because you're like, that's cool. I can do that. And then you read it and you think, but why would I do that? And like your only reason is because you can. But is that reason enough? Looking at the rest of the updates, it was all points reductions. Big points reductions. With shooters making out like bandits, you get 20 shooters for 120 points, which means you can put 60 wounds on the board for 360 points. And thanks to the recent updates, you do have a four-up rally on that. So for very cheap 640 points, we can have two units of 60 shooters with four-up rallies on either one of them. You can only do rally once, which is pretty big wound sink for a very low points entry. Scragrot also got cheaper, and a Loom Boss on Mangler Squigs also got cheaper, and they are both great units inside of that army. Spider Riders, finally. Spider Riders were pointed perfectly for over three years at being exactly 100 points, but finally they have had the points reduction that maybe they deserve because the game has changed and the state of the game has changed for them. Going down 10 points. Squig Herd going down 20 points is actually really important because you can put a lot of wounds on the board with the Squig Herd. Now, Gloomstrike is, is definitely a Horde army. It's pretty much how it's designed, apart from all the elite bits like the Boingrots and Spiders and other stuff, and Trogs, so kind of. And so you do sometimes, when you talk about the Gloomstrike Gits army, really want to have a conversation about how many wounds can I put on the board, how... How much stuff can I put on the board? What can I do with this army? How much can I, you know, how many wounds, how many units, what can I do? The problem is it's kind of a race to the bottom in a lot of ways. You're never really talking about what the units could do. You're just talking about how cheap the wounds are for what they are. This really feels like it strips away from the flavor of what a unit and or army should be. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I personally think hordes of gibbering goblins should be something you see on the board. And so quality and, qu well, quantity is the quality of that process but i really feel like that there were loads of other options to be able to bring up how competitive the green spike gets book may be and lastly the mortec crawler got a points decrease and the arachnorok on flinger didn't and they're not the same they're not even close and it's weird it's the one of the weirdest things it will keep me up at night. Onto the Uruk Warclans and the big war. Most players got their tireless trackers, battle trait changed or clarified, whichever. I'm not picking a side. But either way, half now means half. So uh, only half of the units can move and you can't stack the halves, which is fine. Okay, but I was never trying to stack a half before. People who know, know, but no one's stacking no halves. But you can if you want, but you, or you couldn't. Or you, maybe you could, but no, no longer can you. I'm not picking a side. Cruel Boys had a massive glow up in a rules change that's very specific. Swamp Caller Shaman is a character that walks behind either some Gut Rippers or some Bolt Boys or Sludge Draco. I mean, whatever. And basically makes it so that they do the mortal wounds that they do from the Venom Encrusted Weapons on a 5 as opposed to a 6. But when they did that, they had to give up being able to cast spells, which was a bit of a shame. Their War Scroll spells, pretty cool. It's pretty effective. Uh, but now, in the update, they can also cast spells. Let's go. So there's a pretty good spell called Nasty Hex, where you can't use ward saves, which is really good. So ultimately, that's already the leveling up that maybe the Cruel Boys need. The army itself, though, has some 
big weaknesses. Low bravery, low armor saves. I described it earlier on the stream as kind of those kids in high school who fight inside the locker rooms or inside the toilets. They're just swinging and they got a glass jaw, but they could do some real damage. And Games Workshop have helped that by being doing a big points reduction. Gut Rippers have gone from 180 points to 160 points. It's a 20 wound unit with only a 5-up armor save. I would have really liked to have seen that unit just get a 4-up armor save and stay at 180 points, if I was honest. Then a bunch of the other units went down generically 20 points, which seems to be the answer in this battle scroll. Make it a bit better, 20 points cheaper. All in all, for Cruel Boys, I'm very hopeful. I spent a long time earlier having a conversation about this, and I'm more excited about the technical change in the Swamp Caller Shaman and also added on to the Grinning, Blade the Grinning Blades change that we saw earlier on in the edition than I am about the points reductions. The points reductions are just adding more rubbish units to a rubbish army. The technical changes means that the army may play different or be able to have more options. And I genuinely think that that's a better choice. I also forgot to mention that Bone Splitters did have some points changes as well, specifically the Wurgog Prophet, for the absolute crime of doing a really cool thing, which was mortal wounds uh, by staring at stuff until it died. Uh, had to go up 20 points, as did some of the other Bone Splitter units. Thankfully, one of the most offensive spammed units, which was Big Stabbers, did go up points, which is quite good. I still think they're okay, but they were very, very cheap, and you could take huge numbers of big stabbers now you can't take quite as many big stabbers and maybe the big stabber list is dead moving on to chaos and to quote games workshop the most successful cat faction beasts of chaos there were some rules changes and some points changes the rules changes are that a spell called devolve was changed that you can no longer devolve a unit or move a unit via that spell if it's engaged in combat they also clarified and updated that the Zangor units that you find in the brand new Disciples of Zinch book are the ones that you would use in Beasts of Chaos, which is really great because Zangor or Enlightened in Beasts of Chaos just uh, tipped up. Now, one of the big core rules changes that they changed to this army to reduce how effective it is, is primordial core points, or more importantly, the way that you get them, which was a monstrous action called Primal Roar, got changed. It used to be that you generated a primordial core point or a summoning point on a 2+, and if you rolled a 6, you got a flat 3 summoning points. They've changed it now, so you only get one summoning point on a 3-up. This is going to slow the engine down on that summoning build that the Beast of Chaos used so well. The problem with the Beast of Chaos army was always twofold. The ability to summon a lot of units, maybe five to 700 points worth of models over the course of a game, in conjunction with the fact that they had a four-up rally on very cheap wound models. Zangor and also Dragon Ogres were really good examples of units that you could do this with. Changing the summoning engine or just slowing down the summon engine might be enough to really bring down how effective this army is. They did also change the points of Dragon Ogres. Dragon Ogres were 125 points for 15 wounds on a 4-up save, which is just bonkers, especially in conjunction with the 4-up rally. They've added 20 points to this unit, so it's 145 points. Now, they're not the most effective. Now, they don't do the most damage in the army and in every single competitive list we saw two units six two units to six in lion that's pretty much how it would go sometimes there would be a unit of nine but very rarely so this is going to add quite a lot of points it's going to add over 80 points to a standard beast of chaos list but like their whole army is trash like very recently freddie leggett wonderful person mr dan bradshaw both went 5-0 but a week ago 
with what I think was effectively 400 points in their down in their army. They had Cygors, they had Skyfires, they had all sorts of nonsense units in their list. So I don't really think the Beast of Chaos players are going to miss that amount of points in their list. All in all, if I was a Beast of Chaos player, I would be dancing around the Herdstone this evening with a crown of feathers, being very happy with these changes. I think the army is as effective as it was previously. Blades of Corn had some rules clarification, specifically how they dealt with using Blood Tithe points to unbind Endless Spells. Can't do it more than once now, which is good. They also clarified how Endless Spells worked with the Blades of Corn abilities, but go back and see what I said about that earlier. No point changes for Blades of Corn is genuinely a very weird one. Like, there are loads of units that have some real internal balance issues. Blades of Corn right now is pretty much a Scarbrand build. You push everything you can into the army to buff Scarbrand and make it so that eventually you can go and smack people. But there are loads of units in the Blades of Corn book, loads, which really could do with addressing on how they work and what they can do. And I'm not I'm not saying that points changes are going to do that. I think really it's War Scroll updates and sure, we've got to pay for a new book to get that. But there's loads of corn units that aren't seeing play and the mission to fix the internal balance doesn't really seem to have been changed here. Uh, Disciples Inch obviously just got a new book out so they got a placeholder FAQ which I'm assuming will get a more intense FAQ later. Heathen Knights of Celeste didn't get any rules changes but they did get some points changes specifically on Demonets and Glutus or Scolian. We also got Fiends and Slangor go down. This again, like Osiarchs, is one of those situations where you keep dropping the value out of units, lowering its points without really changing its efficacy. Sure, you can put more models on the board, but are those models going to be good enough to do anything with, which they weren't in the first place? Quantity does have a value, but not in this case. Next up is the Magikin of Nurgle. One of those armies that really didn't seem to read well on paper and ended up being very good. I'll hold my hands up to that no problem. They've had a very high win rate, and in my opinion, they're one of the better, if not best, armies in the game. And it was mainly to do with those Puskal Blightlords. The big fly list did so well, especially at AOS Worlds, where we saw them play. We saw loads of people do super well with them. Big shout out to Emma being one of the very few people I've ever seen take out a Seraphon castle with it. In this situation, we got some points changes, and we got the Puskal Blightlords got a significant change. When we say it was a fly list, it was it was all flies. Flies, flies, flies. In Drown Men with the pregame move. I really think the pregame move uh, could have changed. Big shout out to my friend Andrew, who made this point earlier. If you'd have put the pregame move on the Blight Kings instead of on the Puskal Blight Lords, then you would have had a nice little parity between the two, and therefore maybe your options would have been different for the internal balance conversation. From an external balance, it was quite clear that they're too good, and so they needed a points hike in order to make it so that you can't take as many of them. They've gone up 30 points for a unit of two. So that's 16 wounds on a four-up save with a five-up ward. So previously, you could run two Lords of Afflictions, which you would see very commonly, and 14 flies. But now, you can run two Lords of Afflictions and... 12 flies. The real question is, is, is that enough? What I like about it is that it's okay. It's not super aggressive, sure, and really does it tie in with how the army plays. Is it like a board control weak army and they need that extra unit on the board in order to control it? It's going to be very interesting. It's very subtle. And I think, quite fairly, a lot of people will think maybe it's not enough. 
some people think maybe is enough. This is one of those things that's really going to have to shake out in the wash to see. Personally, I would have liked to have seen something done with maybe some of the other units inside the book. But Nurgle is one of those lists that actually has multiple lists. Sure, we talk about flies a lot. But the Rock Cover and Sorcerer list is a great list and it's been used in Germany and America and has been very effective. They just got the brand new Rotmeyer Creed unit, which is really, really good. And some of the very first results that we ever saw with the Magikin and Nurgle forces was all beast of Nurgle led with Horticulic Slimux. So it's got a real pivot point between a variety of different lists. We've even seen Glockkin with Blight Kings play. So there's some real pivots for this army. And I feel that all that's really happened is they've lost a bit of a tech piece. That unit of Nurglings, they've lost that unit maybe of Gutrot Spume that they took for a little bit of fun. Nurgle's one of the interesting ones. Not sure I can trust myself on this call, so I'd love to know what you think in the comments uh, below. And if you listen to this podcast, uh, then tweet me or something. Skaven had some rule changes and some point changes. The Norbomb artifact was clarified and when you use it on a terrain feature the terrain feature is passable as opposed to impassable because this caused some really weird interactions with a unit being on a piece of terrain and it instantly becoming impassable so that was changed so it's passable which is a great change another really cool kind of rules change or rules clarity really is storm fiends storm fiends when you build them they've got a very specific weapon loadout that you have to choose between now when you reinforce the unit you don't then have to duplicate the first set of weapon loadouts and instead can change up those weapon loadouts which is quite nice and i think that's really cool for building some nice mixed storm fiend units we also had some Points changes. The Doom Wheel has gone down 20 points, which is great, but still isn't battle line, so it's time to riot. The Deathmaster went down points. Lord Screech, the Vermilord Corruptor, and the Vermilord Warps here went down 10 points. And it's at that point when you really understand that I think the points changes are at best nominal. They're very, very unlikely to be affecting internal balance. A 10-point change on a Vermin Lord when they cost 360 points isn't really going to affect anything. Okay, so those are all of the changes, so it's time to talk about what we didn't see and what didn't get any changes. We didn't see any changes for Doors of Cain, which is weird because they're a great army and they've got some pretty obnoxious rules um, and it would have been nice to have seen maybe both snakes take a bit of a hit even more than they have. Fire Slayers we didn't see any changes with and they've got some nice builds, Runeson or Magma Droths and the Jeremy Vissier build, which is not one I can quote here because it's too crazy. Deepkin did get a change, which I would have liked to have seen. I'm not really sure what the answer is for Deepkin. I personally think it's making a turtle cheaper. I would have liked to have seen that specifically because I feel like the turtle is almost one of those pieces an army needs to include, but it's maybe too expensive so that it does include it. I always feel Deepkin are maybe a unit shy when they play, and so I wouldn't want them to reduce units on things like eels or thralls so you get them spammed even more, but the big pieces, especially uh, like the turtle, would have been a good change in my opinion. We didn't see any changes to Ogreball Tribes or Slave Startless as well, but of course, both those two uh, armies are getting books very soon. Stuff that didn't happen. So, Master of Magic and Arcane Tome. Uh, I read lists every single Monday on the Age of Sigma Stats Center. I don't know how many I've read now. I read all the 5-0s and 4-1s from around the world. It's the most taken combo, command trait and artifact available. Doesn't matter what Games Workshop tell you in any article. It's everywhere, and it's common, and it's all the time. I really think these universal artifacts are actually a big negative for list building, but also they're a big negative for how Games Workshop's going to perceive their armies in the future. Some armies do better because they've got the access to uh, Master of Magic, which allows you to re-roll a cast or re-roll an unbind, and Arcane Tone, which allows you to make something a wizard. It makes some units 
way better than they should be looking at you, Engine of the Gods, or a Rune Lord, although I don't really know what the Rune Lord did to ever piss anyone off, but it did. And then you just go into really weird things where a Bloodthirster's a wizard, which is just odd. I'd really like to see it go away. Even though it's great for my Zeech army making a Fate Master a wizard. And the same with the Master of Magic. You pay points for wizards in Age of Sigmar, and normally you're paying for their War Scroll spell or for how effective they are as a caster. Knowing that you can turn any support unit into also a caster that can also re-roll cast, which is better than most level one wizards, really kind of takes the efficiency and the quality of those casters out of the game. Other things is the the move after you teleport with the uh, Lakwan the Soul Seeker or the Bringy Dingy Endless Spell didn't get changed, which I thought was just a bang out of the park, in my personal opinion. It just feels like that was an oversight and it didn't get addressed, which I feel is very odd. Rally didn't get fixed from BC Chaos, the four-up rally. For a rally is one of those really interesting things, which I think maybe is a divisive subject, but over time, I think we're all going to agree that it's just a silly mechanic that doesn't really need to be there. Um, it's a nice like elastic band mechanic so that if you're in a tough uh, position, you can kind of spring back quite aggressively. And I do like that there was the thought to put that in there, but it's just very, very strong. And some units and some armies have the ability to do it. Daughters of Cain have it, which again, why they had it so that it affects friendly units and not just Daughters of Cain units. So you can put Phoenix Guard in there, which is weird. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't change that. And on the point of the points changes, there we go. That's definitely a joke in there somewhere. I really do feel like the points changes are not some sort of like... Um, beautiful mind level of arithmetic that has been done here. Some of them are outright misses. Like as we talked about the Stormcast uh, ones earlier, which I think is interesting. But even, even if they were perfect and they were all the ones that we wanted, there are far too few for it to be like an attempt to look at internal balance. Way too few because there are loads of units that just don't see play. And as... Warhammer players, Rage Sigmar players, we're very consigned to just units being on, on the scrap heap for a very long time. But I feel like if the company are committing to doing this, then I feel it's a fair criticism to say that I feel that there should have been more units in there. Like a lot more units. Like loads of units. And the ones that were chosen just feel like fan service or crowd service, or in particular places like the Cockatrice change, where very few people in the world are running the Cockatrice spam list. They got updated in points, which is very weird because on use case, which would have been in their data, they just randomly chose an out there weird list and then just nerfed it, which is weird. So the points changes don't really tie in with the data that's coming in. They definitely don't address internal balance. It's a great argument as to whether or not they make any effect on external balance. And then in some cases, are just oddly specifically targeted. That said, before we get on to reviewing how we feel about the whole thing, I'm always going to be really positive with the game company who make the game that I love producing more and more effective changes more consistently for us as consumers. You know, and it's free, even though we pay for the miniatures, the books, the rules, and all the other stuff, event tickets, etc., and drives their business, but it's free. Um, I ultimately am like happy that there are any changes. And thinking about this, I think I would prefer the battle scroll updates that happen every three months to be softer. And my reasoning for that is, is because we're going to get some pretty huge upheavals if the GHB is wildly different every six months. And I'm okay with that. Wildly different every six months with a little touch every 
uh, every three months. The bit that I would like to see, though, is I would like to see more communication on when those are going to happen. I feel there's going to be some disappointment with this Battle Scroll update, or there'll be some excitement. I mean, you tell me which one you prefer and which one you're on. Specifically because they created this, they did this really cool MetaWatch show where they talked about we know what internal balance is, and we were like gobsmacked as a community that they'd even acknowledge it existed. So then when you know that that's the case, you expect to look at this and think, I can't wait to see what they've done about internal balance. And I had all sorts of high-minded, fluid ideas of stuff that they may do. And then it was also produced later. It wasn't at the three-month mark. It was three or four weeks later. I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth, but I'm just saying that that communication should be something that sh they should do. There's a video that you can go and watch on Warhammer Community, and I encourage you to go and watch it so you can hear what their thoughts are. But I think I would like to see big six-month upheavals and then three-month softer changes. So I'm not gutted with this battle, with this, but I think I set my own expectations too high. And maybe that's a little bit on them. Maybe that's a little bit on me. I've always been an optimist. Who knows? Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna give them a mark out of ten, which seems fair uh, for all of the things that they tried to achieve. So external balance, I'm going to give them a six out of ten, and I'm going to explain why they've attempted to do external balance, and a five out of ten would be a bang average job. They were able to sort out external balance. A ten would be that they absolutely like knocked it into the park with external balance and a zero would be they made Seraphon like 50% cheaper and you're like, you've done something crazy. So they've done an average job of looking at external balance, which is good and arguably better than they've ever, ever done. So actually, well done to them. On internal balance, they don't get a high mark. The points changes didn't do much. The rules changes didn't do much. In fact, actually, I really struggled to see where they made any internal balance conversations at all. You could have written sub-faction rules. You could have done a bunch of stuff. The list of stuff that could have been done was very high, and the list of stuff that was done was very small. And therefore, you get a 2 out of 10. Finally, unique enhancements. I struggled not to give you a 0. I struggled to not give them a zero on unique enhancements. So this will be Endless Spells, which a few went up a few points. Uh, the Cronspine Incarnate, which went up a little bit. Uh, they didn't change Battalions, uh, which is quite interesting. They didn't change Battle Tactics to see, like, you know, uh, they didn't change Arcane Tome. They didn't change Master of Magic. There's a load of things that they didn't even touch, and the stuff that they touched was deeply nominal. And so uh, the pick rate for those is going to continue to be high. I think a lot of the stuff that, again, that they look at in data is based on pick rate at all tournaments and all data, as opposed to, more specifically, the better performing ones, and therefore a 1 out of 10. Now, the last one's an interesting one. The last review, or the last score we're going to give them, it's going to be done by you. And I want to know why. I can only be myself, my own emotions and feelings, and I learn better if I hear from you. So if you're watching this on YouTube, if you've watched to now, then I want to know what you think, and you can leave the score in the comments below. Because really, what they need to be aiming for, what's your excitement like to build a new army, to play new armies, to write new lists? Where are they 1 to 10? What has all of this done for your excitement to play more Warhammer, buy more Warhammer, or build more Warhammer? kind of has to be the key point of what this is. Sure, they could get into the nitty-gritty of the numbers, but ultimately, it should be about, like, the zhuzh, the zhuzh. Like, like, have they tickled you? Have they, have they inspired you? Have they done something that's made you absolutely thrilled? This is the real question, and I don't really know what the answer is. I don't know what your answer is, though, so mark out a 10 in the comments below. 
uh, or if you listen to us as a podcast, write on a piece of paper and just send it to me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, I know it's a bit long-winded. I'm recording this at 1 a.m. on the day of release. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I still have to edit it, so I probably won't leave here till like 3 a.m. So I do have a Patreon. If you think I'm a cool guy, you could support me. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks to all of my existing Patreons. See you soon.